good morning. I'm Philip Crawford, and I'm so glad you've taken the time to join me this morning. If you missed the last episode, I recommend going back and listening to that one before this one, because this morning I'm going to be taking the foundation we laid last time and building on that. If you remember last week, we were talking about the mindset that a lot of people hold on to, that they are so unworthy, that they aren't good enough. And I mentioned that this boils down to a profound misunderstanding of the idea of righteousness and how we have been made the righteousness of God. We are in right standing with God. You and I can stand in the presence of almighty, holy God without a sense of guilt or condemnation. Well, this morning, I want to talk about how it doesn't stop there. We are in a standing even better than that. And before we are done, I'd like to put in some practical application to our daily lives. Okay, so what do I mean by even better than being in right standing with God? I mean, that's pretty good. What more is there than that? Well, something you may have noticed last week, I used the word entitled several times. And let's face it, today, it's a pretty hot button word, whether you rant about the entitled millennials or you laugh at the entitled Karen memes that are out there everywhere. Entitled is a word that has developed a negative connotation the last 10 or so years that it really didn't have before. But to be entitled to something really just means that you have a right to it. In legal settings, citizens of this country are entitled to due process under the law. They have a right to it. It's not a bad thing to be entitled to something, you know, so long as you're actually entitled to it. Well, for us to be in right standing with God on its own doesn't seem like it necessarily comes with much else guaranteed with it other than to be in the right standing with God. I mean, remember, Psalm 103, 2 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Then he goes on to list a whole bunch of those benefits. But Jesus removing our sins and putting us back in a place where we could be in right standing with God is a wonderful thing. And if we're honest, it's way, way more than we ever deserved. But God wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted us to be entitled to his benefits. He wanted us to have a right to them, a legal right. Just listen to Romans 8.15 from the NIV. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Do you even realize what an awesome, awesome scripture this is? Notice the phrase that the spirit we received brought about our adoption to sonship. Do you know somebody who was adopted? Maybe you were yourself. I've I've known several people in my life who were adopted. In fact, I know of a couple circumstances where the person who was adopted either didn't know that they were or they didn't know it until much later in life. The people that adopted that child became full-blown legal parents of that child. In the eyes of the law, that child was as much their own as if they had delivered that baby themselves. 
It's not just a beautiful sentiment about creating a loving family, but it's a process that requires a full legal procedure to happen. Well, it's no coincidence that a Jewish man writing to believers in Rome wrote this verse of scripture. In fact, the word adoption to sonship, that phrase in the Greek is actually a legal term. And it refers to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. So Paul is not just drawing a similar parallel. It's not a parable or something like that. This was a legal term familiar to these people, which he is saying is exactly what happened to us. So in the culture in those days, in Roman custom, when a person was adopted, they lost all the rights to their old family, but they gained all the rights of a legitimate child. Let that sink in. Paul is saying that we as believers were legally adopted, and as such, we have been given all the rights that would belong to an actual son. Now, I can hear your wheels turning. I mean, we can't talk about God the Father and use the word son and not think about Jesus. Wait, you mean to tell me that God looks at me like a son, like he does Jesus? Well, look sometime at John 17, 23. Jesus prayed that we would know that God loves us as much as he does Jesus. So while you're letting stuff sink in, go ahead and let that sink in with it. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, loves you just as much as he does Jesus. Well, there's no way that can be true. It has to be true. Not only did Jesus pray that we would know it, but look at the rest of the evidence. After all, he sacrificed Jesus to get you. No, you are not unworthy in hoping that God may be might notice you. You are a legally adopted child. You've lost all rights to your old family, Satan's family, and you've gained all the rights and privileges that come with being a child of the Most High. Can you start to see the implications of this? You have a right to the things that God has promised in his word. God has told us what we need to do when we come asking for things. We need to ask in faith, and that's a whole other set of podcasts and such. But once we come in faith, we've done our part. God does the rest. And it's not that God won't. You have a right to the things that he's promised. God didn't have to make it this set in stone. But he has basically laid out the case in such a way that when you come in faith for something that he's promised us, he really doesn't have a choice. You have a right to it, and therefore it belongs to you. If he was to withhold from you something that belongs to you, that would make him a thief. And God isn't the thief. Furthermore, like I said last week, I had a conversation with somebody nine or so months ago about a message I preached that dealt with coming to God boldly. And they weren't too thrilled about this idea, right? They thought you had to go quietly and begging and sad and desperate, hoping maybe God would answer your prayers. And people like this often refer to this kind of thinking as humility, but there's really nothing humble about it. 
Well, right in this same verse about the spirit of adoption to sonship, it goes on to say that we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba comes from one of the main languages of the day, Aramaic. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, the movie was made in Aramaic. But Abba is a word for father, but it carries with it a more casual, personal meaning with it. Today, we would use the word daddy. So, yes, he is heavenly father, but he is personal. He's daddy. Would you go to your dad, especially as a child, and beg him for something to eat or or clothes to wear or shelter? Hopefully not. You know, it's funny how things go full circle. When I was a kid, I drove my dad crazy, quote unquote, borrowing things, tools especially. I'd grab what I need, use it and forget about it until he was trying to locate it. And usually the search began with me. And, you know, I deal with this same thing today myself. At this point, I don't know if I have ever owned a roll of scotch tape for more than three minutes before it also gets borrowed. But you know something? I didn't need to come to dad on my face begging my dad. I didn't need to say, dad, I know I just ate a week ago, but could I maybe have something to eat in the next week or two? I know it's trouble and and I understand if you don't have time for it. And you know, I certainly didn't have to come to him and start off with a, it's me, Philip. I'm his son. He's familiar with who I am. And we might laugh at something like this, but it's the same way with God. Why are you coming to God praying, it's me, God, Philip. I know you're busy and I don't deserve it, but maybe you could help me out if it isn't too much trouble. No. You have been adopted as a child. You have a right to ask for these things. He loves you just as much as he does Jesus, and he's dad. He knows exactly who you are and what things you have need of before you even ask him. And more than that, the Bible said it brings him joy to provide for you, to give you what you ask him for. You ever played the game 20 questions? Well, if you have, you know that sometimes knowing what something isn't is just as helpful as knowing what something is. And Paul in the book of 2 Timothy also talked about this spirit that we have been given. In the seventh verse of the first chapter, he says that we have not been given a spirit of fear. Other translations read that the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid. So this idea that we need to approach God timidly rather than boldly is not an idea that came from God. Why? The spirit we have been given is a spirit of adoption to sonship. It's a spirit that cries daddy as a child or with your own children. How would you feel if your kids came to you every time they did with fear and uncertainty. It would hurt. It's a sign that there's a major problem in the relationship. So why then should it be any different with God? In Timothy, right after he says that we haven't been given this spirit of fear and timidity, it goes on to tell us more about this spirit of adoption to sonship. 
it says that we have been given a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. You know, knowing our legal rights gives us a sense of power. It's what enables us to be bold when we approach God. Sure, it's talking about love for others, but we also need to recognize that his love for us is what enables us to live without fear, to live a life that isn't timid. Read First John sometime, not the Gospel of John, but the little one towards the back just a few pages before the book of Revelation. It says an awful lot about love and its relationship to fear. And in First John, it tells us that there is no fear in love. See, when you get an idea of his love for you, you don't have a sense of fear or dread when you need to come to him. There's no fear. You know, we're in the middle of some pretty fearful days right now. If your Facebook feed is anything like mine, a third of the posts are about the fear of the virus. It's going to kill so many and no one is safe and the virus is only getting worse and worse and worse. Another third of the posts I see are about the vast conspiracy that's out there. It's all made up and it isn't real and this is really just so that People higher up can be taking away the rights and controlling the rest of us. And, you know, now these people seem to think that they have it all figured out and they're the smartest ones in the room because this is really what's going on. But really, they are also just in fear, afraid that there is such a conspiracy happening, afraid that if they don't speak up and do something, that their rights really will be taken away, afraid that something scary is going on behind the scenes. So what can we do about this fear? I want you to take some time today and read in the eighth chapter of the book of Luke, starting around verse 40. Start reading the eighth chapter of the book of Luke, starting in verse 40. And you'll read the account of a man named Jairus. And Jairus is leader of the synagogue there. And Jesus and his staff members, they get off this boat and they're greeted by a huge crowd of people. And right in the middle of this crowd, along comes this guy named Jairus, and he throws himself down on the ground at Jesus' feet. And he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. She's 12 years old, and she's dying. But he tells Jesus, if you will come and lay your hands on her, then she's going to live. So Jesus follows him. And in the middle of all of this, this trip to his house, we see the woman with the issue of blood come and get healed in that account. And it's right about right after this woman is healed, we see someone come from Jairus's house and meet them and tell Jairus that his daughter has died. So just leave Jesus alone. It's too late. She's dead. You know, before Jairus could utter a single word Jesus spoke and said to him, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. Jesus doesn't say, Well, you know, I'll see what I can do. If Jairus committed to believing, then she would be fine. Not if it was God's will. You know, maybe it was God's will that she, you know, go on to heaven. Maybe God just got lonesome and just, 
needed another angel to come and visit him. No, we laugh at that kind of idea sometimes, but you know, you have heard people say that same kind of thing before and believe it. But even more than that, it was Jairus' responsibility to fear not. According to Jesus, he could not be believing only if he was in a state of fear. If he tolerated just a little bit of fear, he could not believe only. And you know, that's what a lot of Christian people are trying to do today. One minute they'll say, God's got this, and the next minute they start getting concerned about the world today and so on. You know, I've seen all over the place where people are adopting this new idea that a little bit of fear is okay. It's normal. And they peel off those those horrible live, laugh, love stickers off the wall. You know the ones I'm talking about. And they replace it with some other equally terrible sticker, something along the lines of faith over fear or faith greater than our fear stickers. I hate those things. Not only are they tasteless and ugly. Come on, let's be honest. They're, they're pretty ugly. But they are a declaration that I am willing to tolerate fear in my life. Even if it's a little bit, I'm willing to tolerate some. Fear not. Believe only. How? You have not received a spirit of fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption to sonship, one that is of love. So much love that God isn't just far off God, but he's dad. What could you possibly have fear of? In fact, the more fear that you allow in your life, the less you acknowledge God as your father, the less you acknowledge even your right standing with God. So what do we do? So what's something that I can do this week that takes this from an idea or a concept to something I can actually do? Well, the first thing you can do is shut up. No, seriously, talking about how you're afraid of this or afraid of that. And, you know, every time you're speaking that way, you are declaring that God is limited in his ability and in his love for you. And before you make that statement, stop yourself. If you can't find a way to say what you are going to say in the eyes of a child of God, then don't say anything. And second, if you can, why not find a a way to rephrase this to say what you're going through or say what you're thinking about through the eyes of a child of God, through the vocabulary of a son or a daughter, instead of, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go to the store and nobody's wearing a mask. How about I'm so thankful that God has promised me that no plague or calamity shall come near my dwelling. Instead of saying, I'm afraid that this is just all a play and a hoax to take away our rights, how about acknowledging that the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men shall do unto me? You see, as a child of God, you have a right to his protection, to his guidance, to his provision, to his everything. You are entitled to his best and he is bound to honor his word when you live by it. But fear is telling God that he can't do something, or better yet, showing off the areas where you don't have faith in God's ability or in God's promises. So starting today, 
Why not totally eliminate and eradicate fear from your vocabulary? If you can't address something in faith, then don't say anything at all and take the time to find out what God says on the matter. Then you can start replacing the word fear with a statement of faith, something with power, something confident in his love. Because when you are made perfect in love, there is no fear. You know, we're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Remember how he asked his father for his inheritance. I mean, after all, it was his right to do so, his right to ask for it. And the father gave it to him. And the son set off, determined to leave his family and do his own thing. And maybe that's you. You knew the father, but you made a choice to leave the father's house. It's your right to leave. You had every right. But once away from the father's house, everything goes bad. The son found himself fighting with pigs for morsels of food just to survive. But eventually, the thought occurs to the son, my father could at least put a roof over my head, give me something to eat. But fear soon entered into that son's thinking. He didn't have any idea of his father's love for him. Instead, he thought, I'll go back and maybe I can just be a servant in my father's house. I can be the low man and just get enough to survive. And you know, that's how a lot of us are. I've done so much wrong in my life. God can just keep me as low on his list. Give me, give the best to those who haven't done anything wrong, but maybe he will give me just enough to survive. No understanding of the love of the father. So the son decides this is what he's going to do. So he goes towards the house and on the way, the father sees him far off You know, evidently the father was watching and waiting for him ever since he left. And you know, that's how God sees you. Well, we know the story. The father greets the son with a big hug and orders the best feast to be thrown and a ring on his finger and all of that. If you have left your father's house, don't let fear keep you from coming home. Just ask him to forgive you. Maybe you're like the son who stayed home. We hear a lot about the prodigal son. We don't really talk that much about the son who stayed home. You know, when the father ordered the feast, the son who stayed home became rather upset about this. He was like, hey, I've been here the whole time. I didn't leave and you never gave me all this special treatment. And the father told him, you are my son. Everything I have is yours. In other words, it was yours the whole time. All you had to do was ask for it. So maybe you've always been a Christian and tried to do the right thing, but have never had the courage to approach God boldly with what you need. You are his child. Everything he has is yours. So just ask him for it boldly without fear and don't start speaking fear. Because your father has what you need for every single thing that you will ever face in this life. So there's no need to be afraid of anything. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for listening today. Remember, you can find out more about me or about Philip Crawford Ministries at philipcrawford.org. Next time, we will be talking about where sin factors into this new life. After all, we are going to mess up. So what does that do to our right standing? So be sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen so you don't miss an episode. God bless you for listening. And as always, tell someone about Jesus this week. Jesus this week.